Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Lunch Pail Podcast. Alongside Mike Nizelik, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. I'm giggling a bit because I've been pronouncing Mike's name incorrectly this entire life of this podcast, and also on our videos that we do. I finally, I heard him pronounce his own name at one point uh, recently, and I said, "If I've been doing this wrong, he's like, it's okay, I don't care." <laughs> I, I felt I felt awkward to chime in, and I, like, I mean, what when do you do that? So it's like. Because I'd always forget by the time something would end. I mean, I don't care. My name's been pronounced wrong many a time. Well, so. I'm so, I certainly apologize for that. It is. Uh, it was unintentional. I think it's better. It I think it would. I wish it would have gone on five years. <laughs> well, we have a meaty, meaty podcast today. I mean, we got coaching changes here at Tech. We've got the bowl game to look ahead to against Kentucky. We got to look back at the UVA game because we have not gotten together. We had a busy week last week. We weren't able to get together after the Commonwealth Cup streak ended. Uh, the, we'll touch on the ACC title game that Clemson uh, ran over UVA in, and we'll do our pick three. But we're going to kind of go uh, in reverse or chronological order here uh, with the most recent item of news. The well, second most recent, I guess, would be the the, the Justin Hamilton hire, the decision to promote him from safeties coach to uh, defensive coordinator, replace Bud Foster. Mike, just your initial thoughts on that decision. Well, um, you know, it was a possibility, um, I think, in the back of everybody's head collectively, sort of in the, at least the media realm here, that, you know, Hamilton could be a guy that they, they – I mean, they really liked him, uh, energetic. Um, the players really lo- – like, I mean, players love this guy. I mean, he was the director of development for a season, then took over as safeties coach. He's been here two years, but uh, immediately – um, I think uh, you know got the respect and that that locker room loves him. So I mean he had that going for him. Um, experience wise, a little different. Um, you know, not a guy with tons of experience. Uh, wrote about that this week. Um, you know, spent uh, some time over at VMI prior to coming to Virginia Tech. He was a, a linebackers coach over there. Um, had some time with UVA Wise, which I didn't know was a thing until. Looking up his uh, experience, uh, he was the defensive coordinator there. That's his own co- uh, only coordinator experience. So that's at the Division Two level. So certainly not uh, what you'd call an experienced hire by any means. Uh, only one year at uh, FBS level of, of position coach. So I think with that, you know, there's always a certain amount of surprise when you kind of uh, promote a young candidate. Um, but it makes I think a certain amount of sense in that um, you're staying in house. You're picking a guy that Bud Foster wanted to bring here in the first place, wanted to bring him on staff, I think, the year before when they hired Tyron Nix, and, you know, they wanted to kind of give him a little seasoning. Um, so maybe ahead of the game, but I, I think, I don't know, it, it sort of fits with Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote a little something about this when it happened, and, uh, you know, I, I knew Justin from his days of playing, and he was a guy that we would seek out as media members uh just to get his thoughts on on what was going on out there because he had such a good uh, feel for the game. He played multiple positions. He was a team first guy all the way. And, uh, you know, obviously very eloquent in the way he expressed himself back then. So it it doesn't surprise me that he would impress the coaching staff, particularly Bud Foster, um, who who lobbied for the guy. I mean, who who went to bat for him. And as I wrote in the column, I mean – the defense, the, the philosophy, the strategy, the whole culture of the defense 
is not broken. It's not a scenario where usually when you have a change, and we'll get into the changes they're having in the defense, which which kind of runs counter to my point about that. But um, I saw you smiling a little bit over there. But yeah, no, it, I get what you're saying. You go uh, like when you hire when you have an offensive head coach, you fire right. and you go with a defensive head coach, or when you you go with a, somebody that's like Foster, who's intense, uh, and you go with somebody maybe that's laid back, or you know the opposite. I get what your 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 general exactly. Point. I mean, they, they don't need to get rid of the lunch pail. They don't, you know. They don't, not, yeah, they don't need to throw it away. They don't need a turnover <laughs> taco it, yeah, yeah. or something like that to roll in here. They need <laughs> they need what they've had for decades, uh, maybe with a little bit of a younger uh, edge to it in, in recruiting and things like that. But I, I thought I think the biggest thing for him is, you know, people came to Tech. A lot of defensive players came to Tech. I, Dax Hollyfield's an extreme example. But there's others who came to Tech because Bud Foster was the coordinator. That's the they want to breathe in his air, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. that being that aura of that sort of uh, what he's meant to this school and that three decades worth of success and those players and the draft picks. I get what you're saying. Yeah, which, absolutely. which is why I would believe that his first Justin's first year as defensive coordinator is going to be very important. You got to show that there's not a significant drop off in culture in performance. Um, and, you know, they should have the personnel to have a pretty good season defensively. Yeah, if this was uh, two years ago when they were caught, when, you know, if, if Bud had stepped down after they lost everybody to the draft and were coming in with a, uh, you know, nine new starters and nine guys with no experience, this would look like, I think, a completely different hire. When you're returning everybody except Reggie Floyd, unless there's more attrition, right. which on the defensive side, it's really hard to picture other than maybe Caleb Farley possibly looking at the NFL draft or considering that. Um, which I think I st- I think is a, a kind of a, a high uh, hill to climb for him. Other than that, you bring him everybody back. So um, it's certainly I think the uh, the defense the way it's set up fits hiring somebody that's a little more ex- inexperienced, a little younger. Um, and you know, Bud Foster's not leaving Blacksburg. He's keeping his where wherever his lake house is. I'm not sure where exactly Smith Mountain Lake. Smith Mountain Lake. So he'll be here. I said he's going to be an ambassador well, of the program. Lake. Clayton Lake. Clayton that's right. Lake, yeah. uh, so he's going to be an ambassador of the program. But I'd 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 uh, venture a guess, and maybe Justin Fuente will talk about this um, on Wednesday when he kind of addresses the media for the first time. That Foster will help out and be a mentor and and be available to sort of. Um, you know, provide him that that um, that fallback to kind of help him through some of these tough times. And they still, and we'll get to this, like you said, they they have some hires to make to kind of bring in some experience as well. But you know, on the surface, the one thing Hamilton has is he's familiar. Like you said, he's played a lot of positions, almost every position in the secondary. Uh, he's familiar with the system. He has what you know, five years of playing experience because he redshirted, and then now you know two years back. So um, it's not like he's coming in without any sort of base uh, uh, for this this this. Um, what Foster did. So, I mean, I saw some criticism, and, and I think that I, I'm not sure how much that is fair with just having a year that the safeties didn't kind of leaps and bounds and prove under Hamilton. I thought Shamari Connor played well and had a good season. Uh, Devon Diablo played pretty well. Reggie Floyd didn't make a step forward, but I don't think the unit was, was dreadful. But, I mean, you know, maybe you would have liked to see a little more, but I don't think that speaks to what success he can, can or can't have as a defensive coordinator. I think it's kind of a different world. Well, there's not a lot of coordinators. There's not a lot of parallels to draw with coordinators that leave after a quarter century at the position, right? Uh, but are there parallels anywhere that you've found throughout the nation where you know someone's been the coordinator for a long time and it's, and rather than go with the sexy out of out of um, 
you know, outside hire, they elevated someone from within who was relatively Yeah, I don't know about 40. that. I mean, that's hard to look for. But I, I did look to see, you know, parallels with young coaches kind of without much experience um, kind of at the uh, Division One level. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it's hard to kind of find guys. But, you know, it's interesting. That I think the parallels to Bud Foster's situation where Frank Beamer kind of took a chance on him where he didn't have a lot of experience at Murray State yet and brought him on. It was as a position coach initially um, at Virginia Tech. But I certainly think there's some parallels there where um, you kind of take a chance on a young coach and you believe in him and, and you kind of give him that additional responsibility. This is on a bigger level. Um, but um, that kind of drew me that, that um, Frank Beamer sort of took, took a chance on bud at a similar stage where he would you know he had no real experience much experience when he came over to Virginia tech and took over the linebackers um got more before the um the uh he took over as defensive coordinator and was co-coordinator but called all the plays his first year but um but that kind of was the parallel i thought too that you know and this is this the the coaching tree here has a long history of sort of um once you like somebody and once you believe in somebody to kind of trust them what do we make of the timing of this announcement? I mean, it was made the day they were going to announce the bowl matchups in the morning uh, on a day where, you know, a lot of the media is traveling back from Charlotte or wherever they are. And, and you know, there was no press conference. There was no – it was just a release. Well, because they got to do – they're on the road recruiting right after. Um, okay. Which is why there was no press conference. But, but why to why time at that. And I was told – they were, I mean, maybe this was foreshadowing the hire a couple weeks before that they were in no hurry to announce it and that they were, and, and maybe because they had the guy on the staff. So, um, you know, we'll kind of see tomorrow what Fuente will say if they even looked outside. You know, how much did they look outside? I, I'm not real sure. Um, uh, the timing of it is strange uh, just because, I mean, if they had Hamilton on staff, you know, did they need to, could they have waited another week when everybody's in town and, and kind of introduced them properly? Um, probably with some of the coaching, other coaching changes they want to make, they decided they probably needed to pull the trigger on everything as they were kind of trying to organize everything. Um, and, you know, with early signing day, with a couple of their recruits that maybe they're trying to get, they thought maybe this would help with some of the uncertainty. Um, but, yeah, it's a strange timing just in the sense where, um, you know, they're not even introducing him this week. Fuente's talking at a bowl press conference that he's going to address the defensive coordinator change. You know, that's in that's Charlotte. In yeah. Charlotte, yeah. Um, so that's a little strange. Um, but that's sort of typical now of how things operate. They don't really operate on sort of a media timeline or anything. They don't really care. The optics of it are secondary to just getting it done and kind of moving forward. So gotcha. um, I'm not sure that was in their calculus at all. They, they you know, Fuente really cares just you know he's gonna announce it and then he's on to the next thing right well some of the next things he was on to well sure. concluding the uh the same day the same press release that they announced the hamilton hire they announced that was the, more interesting the, that, the, the, the the sort of yeah just snuck it in there with the second to last paragraph no the last the sentence paragraph. that uh on the um hamilton's hired you know it's like uh the press release it's got quotes from bud and justin and and both justins and it's, you know, good length, probably 400 words, 500 words. Yeah. And then in the last sentences, and um, we will not be bringing back Zon Burden, running back coach Zon Burden and defensive backs coach Brian Mitchell. That was how they announced that. No ex, no follow-up, no heads up on the announcement, just at the end of the press release. Um, um, and I asked another beat writer here uh, what they had done in the past, and he said, well, there's not a lot of 
parallels because Fuente hasn't made many coaching changes. The, you know, Galen Scott resigned and stepped down. That was a much different situation. And, you know, Frank did a couple of times, but they didn't really announce them until they had a hire in place. Um, so there was not a lot of parallels. That, but I've been through coaching changes at other schools, um, and that seems sort of surprising that they just say, oh, by the way, these guys are, are, are no longer in the building. Why are they gone? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, well, I mean, on its face, uh, so uh, we should also add Charlie Wiles. Well, I wanted to get to Charlie separately. But, we'll, but, yeah. we'll, but uh, so three coaches are gone. So we'll start with Burden and Mitchell. Burden, I think the kind of lack of production speaks for itself the last four years. I mean, I haven't had a thousand yard back. Um, Stephen Peoples has been your most successful running back. And I mean, he was okay, but didn't, didn't light the world on fire. They got better as this season went on, but I mean, how much improvement have those guys shown other than Deshaun McLeese, I think took some step forward. Um, I would think that had a lot to do with it because he was a pretty good recruiter. I mean, he was their best recruiter of the cycle last year. Players really loved him. Um, so I would think that the production kind of, just wasn't there. I mean, even when they were better, they still weren't averaging over four yards of carry for much of the season, and they hadn't, you know, really um, – the running game wasn't consistent outside of uh, Drott Evans, you know. And, and Hendon, I think, kind of opened things up, but I don't think it was part of the running game necessarily. So I think there's that. Brian Mitchell, I thought, was kind of the head-scratcher of the group because just because of what those guys have been able to do, with, what he was able to do with Caleb Farley this year and Jermaine Waller. And even Armani Chapman, who uh, tweeted some things just about being kind of surprised and upset. And that happens. I mean, these guys are close. So, um, But recruiting-wise, I think that might have had more to do with his. Um, but we'll kind of see here when we do get a chance to talk to Fuente what his his reasoning was, because maybe it was different or, you know, I, I'm not sure. But those are just kind of uh, on the surface what you kind of look at. Because um, coaching-wise, Mitchell had a good season this year in terms of the production from – Farley and Waller from a year ago where they were with no experience he sort of brought them along um, but those out of those two uh, I certainly thought Mitchell was the more surprising one because they just haven't had a dominant back I mean you wrote about this uh, what every year at least once that they didn't have yeah, a dominant back been recurring theme for sure and read about it multiple times in several seasons including this one um, okay Charlie Wiles uh, this is a guy how long has he been in 20 24 years 24 years Love Charlie. Charlie is uh, he's really good at what he does. That defensive line has been a strength of Virginia Tech for a very long time. Uh, he's also doesn't take himself too seriously, which I love. I mean, he's very serious about his job, but he's you know he's also fun to be around and talk to and laugh with, and um, and he's been a big. I think he's been a bit integral part of their success. He got his own press release uh, the following day, right? Monday is when well, I think they out. were going to allow him. Um, to coach the bowl game if he wanted mm -hmm. um i think he declined because i think he's going to be looking for another job you mm -hmm. know he told us all i think i, I don't know if you were there or not I was but, there, yeah, yeah. but when he's like you know i'm younger than bud i'm not i'm not looking to kind of retire yet no i got a couple i got some good years left in me so yeah that was mid-season um, yeah so. mid-season so I, I don't think that's changed um and that's why i thought that kind of that, that was a day later i thought they were they'll probably were having some discussions with him and tr still trying to finalize um because you know not that they, I mean, I, I mean, it was pretty unceremonious the way they dumped Burton and Mitchell. Uh, I don't think they wanted that for Charlie because he had been such an integral part. Um, but these things are always tough. So, I mean, you know, pull the Band-Aid off for him, I think, from his perspective. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how that developed. Are we, 
Are we to assume that maybe this was Charlie's decision? I don't think so. You don't think so? I was I, wondering I, I, if I maybe because he didn't get the defensive coordinator job, he was upset. Maybe, and that could have been Mitchell's too. I mean, maybe that they, they balked at sort of going with the younger guy. Uh, but um, we'll see. You know, that's something for Fuente to answer if that, that was any part of that mm-hmm. um, or it was all Virginia Tech side. And I think – they don't provide – they're all on, like, letters of appointment, so you can't FOIA, can't request those things. But I think they were all on two-year contracts that expired this way. Like, if you look at the announcements, they parted ways with mm-hmm. and not fired. So I don't think they had contracts after I, – I, I, I'm pretty sure uh, these uh, – other than Jafar and guys they brought in kind of last year um, um, and Hamilton – I don't think that they had contracts after this season. I think they were all on two-year deals. Well, but but the, I'm not 100% sure on that. The next, <laughs> the next press release that uses the term fired will be the first. But, yes, they didn't say – No, but sometimes will, but they would dismiss. Duties. They yeah, didn't even dismiss. use dismiss. Right, they they right. said they're just not bringing him back, and so that usually means their contracts expired and they weren't being renewed. Gotcha. Uh, but, but with Charlie um, – yeah, it's interesting. I mean, he's had success, and I think he got – uh, a lot out of those freshmen this year and, and a lot out of some of the guys, you know, Sean Crawford had a very good season, but the depth at defensive line and defensive tackle specifically has been an issue kind of throughout the time he's been here with, with coach Fuente. Um, and they've had a real tr- trouble recruiting and his style um, was recruiting kind of undersized guys, faster guys. And maybe they didn't want, they want to go in a more modern direction with, you know, some size up front. Cause um, they haven't. That's not something they've had here very much uh, in recent years, and so um, they've kind of gone for a different style, especially at tackle. And so um, I think you kind of got to look and see maybe f- philosophically they wanted to go in a little bit of a different direction, and um, you know they might not have been happy with with recruiting on the defensive front because the defensive tackle. I mean, they they were relying on on junior college guys and true freshmen this year, and that's not a recipe for long term success. Right. Well, it will be interesting to see. A, what Hamilton says about all of this when we do get a chance to talk to him. B, who they end up hiring to, to fill these jobs. And C, I'm, I will not be at the press conference tomorrow, but that should be a lot of fun at uh, in Charlotte well, where, so where they want to ballyhoo the bull and you, all you guys want to talk about is defense. Well, it, it's it's a terrible setup. It is. It's, it's, it's not it's your fault. Silly. No, it's not, not our fault. But um, I've asked, and we'll see if they come through, um, you know, because I've been at multiple bull press conferences where the subjects have never been about them. Nobody, nobody in the media, like there's nothing you could say other than like, uh, do you talk about Kentucky, you preview Kentucky. And especially right now, we're still three weeks away from the game. So you're not even asking those questions yet. We'll get those chances down the road. So there's really nothing to say about the bowl yet. And what can you say about going to a bowl game other than, well, love Charlotte, love X city that the bowl game is, love the stadium, love the, you know, whatever. And then, then there's nothing else to talk about that. But the ball people don't really understand that. They want you to spend 10 minutes like, how great is Charlotte yeah, compared Queen to other? City, like, I mean, baby. there were four other options, but I mean, El Paso, right. <laughs> Terrible, right? Charlotte's so much better. They ain't got but, NASCAR. Right. So, like, but I've been at multiple press conferences with these things where you start asking questions about players leaving, coaching changes, and they're like, can we get back to the topic <laughs> at hand? And it's like, Okay, so you're not going to make these coaches available. You've announced a defensive coordinator change for the guy that was here for three decades, worthy of a special section from the Roanoke Times, and you've made three coaching changes, and you've not announced replacements, and you're going to only talk about the Belk Bowl. That's not going to work. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I don't, you know, and a lot of those times you could sort of say, like, um, we don't, we're not going to get Fuente 
maybe for another week after that because yeah. of the recruiting stuff. Um, so you have to ask these questions now. I mean, we're, we'd be crazy not to, but yeah, it should be fun. It'll be interesting. I I don't know how it all unfolds. <laughs> I, I look it, forward it, to it because there's so many questions about. It. I mean, you know, you, know, you got Charlie. You got there's all. I mean, you got to ask them all three of them. Hamilton is a subject of his own that's worthy of like ten minutes to kind of be like, what did you see in him? Right. In less than three or sixty-five days, you know, less than two years, where you thought this is the guy that's going to replace Bud, you know, yeah. and yeah. how much did Bud have a say in it? How much did that carry weight? I, there's so many questions, and we get, you know, which which all have much more of uh, weight moving forward, you know, for the history or for the future of this program. Right, than, they than matter they more. Be Kentucky, Kentucky in in a in a bowl in Charlotte, a, a, um, a seven and five or seven and six Kentucky team that you know. It's fine, but whatever. We can, well, now we can, I guess, get in the bowl game. Yeah. But, let's but I was gonna. But what are the coaching changes? Were you surprised on any of them? Did you? you I mean, Charlie. You surprised about Charlie? Oh, maybe I just shed a tear for Charlie. I like. I mean, I just like Charlie. I mean, and not that nothing against Burden or nothing against Mitchell. I, you know, I don't know those guys as well. I, Charlie's just been around. He's just been a guy you see in the hallway and you know, just give you a little laugh. You know that big belly laugh of his. And you know, there's that story of when he was talking about uh, going to see uh, what was the movie with Ice Cube? Um, NWA. NWA. Oh, what was it called? Straight out of Compton. He went. And he gave a movie review of Straight Out of Compton, of course, in his uh, thick, <laughs> thick Appalachian accent. And, you know that he's picked up over the years, and uh, it well, was he's from an area where you got to know the assistant coaches. He's really the only one left that you got to know, right? Yeah, I mean, because I wasn't I mean, here for any of that. You got to actually spend time talking right. to Charlie for two decades, whereas like we get ten minutes, 30, twenty minutes, maybe for the entire season with these guys now. And so you got, I mean, you had much more time to get to know Charlie Wiles than I think we get to know any of these guys. Now. I felt similarly when they parted ways with Billy Height, who was their longtime running backs coach. I mean, that happened years ago now, but uh, Billy was the same way. You know, you just it had that familial atmosphere that Frank's program engendered, um, and so and Bud and Bud was able to carry that torch as well. Now you really don't have anybody like that anymore. I mean, you know, but as much as uh, Justin Hamilton is a, is born and bred into this program and is part of this program, well, he's a different kind of guy it, than Charlie. And it's know? an interesting juxtaposition where you're trying to sort of tether yourself to the previous era while moving forward, mm -hmm. but then you dismiss the guy that probably would have the biggest connection and somebody would experience that you thought might be able to help right. Justin. And, you know, there, there's still moves to be made, which I think – you know they'll, they'll they'll have to look for some experience. Um, you know they're going to be looking for a linebackers coach too, um, and two position coaches. But you know that that's sort of the strange part of it. It's like, well, we want to kind of embrace the past and look to the future, but then you get rid of the guy that had the biggest connection to what you guys did with the lunch pail defense. So no, I agree that that's sort of a, a strange sort of dichotomy. It is. It is. Okay, well, I asked you off air <laughs> how many juice cartons oh out of five God. juice cartons you would give the Belk Bowl matchup between Virginia Tech and Kentucky, and you said half a juice carton. Half a juice carton. <laughs> and that's generous. Well, I am pleased to announce, I hope I hope fans are happy to hear this, but I will be going to the Belk Bowl, and I will not be going to the Orange Bowl. Uh, some people might be upset about that if they were in my shoes because it's uh, Charlotte over Miami. In my case, I'm very pleased. I would like I have seen enough of Miami this year. This is definitely a better time of year to go to Miami than October. But um, I'm okay with going just and being the tech uh, columnist, uh, you know, for this for this bowl period because um, the other option was to go, you know, fly down to Florida and spend several days down there, which is nice. But 
I, I don't know. I mean, for our readership, I think you know, even a juiceless matchup in the Belk Bowl is is a well. So deal. you said I you know I gave it half a you you give it more than a half a juice container uh, only because of location. I I think that a lot of fans love the idea that they can drive there. Um, you know, it's it feels a little bit. Um, I can't remember who was the SEC foe they faced uh, in the Belk Bowl before. Arkansas. Arkansas. Yeah, it feels a little bit like that in that, you know, when you think SEC, Kentucky's not the, you know, unless you're talking about basketball, Kentucky's not the first team that comes to mind. So it's the ACC, it's SEC. The second, third, right. fourth, fifth, sixth. Seventh, right, and Arkansas right. was a similar uh, scenario there. So, um, you know, I, but – People will go, and they had tarps up at the ACC title game, you know, covering a lot of the seats in the upper deck, and I don't know that they'll need them for this. I think they will. You think so? They had, they only drew 46,000 when Arkansas played. Um, Is that all? And it was uh, the high of that three years, but not much Okay, then they will need the tarps. Yeah, wow, that, so, I'm surprised to hear that number. Um, I looked it up because I was thinking, like, because, you know, it was kind of just assumed that Belk would get him because of the geography and um, that they wanted him. But I was thought, I was thinking, man, that must mean they drew pretty well uh, in the past, you know, in that 16 game. But it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, they drew 46,902 the year before with NC State, 46,423. Um, the year after was bad. Uh, Wake Forest and Texas A&M only drew 32,000, um, which was – and that was a good game. It was 55-52. Um, and South Carolina and Virginia actually drew more fans, was 48,000. So anytime they've had a reasonable geographic connection, they seem to draw around 46. So it wasn't a big jump with Virginia Tech. Okay. Well, gotcha. Well, you know, Hokies opened as a one-point dog, and that was quickly bet to Virginia Tech by three. So, um, you know, now favored in this game, very similar to the Virginia line and the movement and in in what we saw there. I I just did a quick, you know, we'll obviously learn more about Kentucky as we get closer. I just did a quick look at their, you know, history of the this season. It sounds a lot like what Tech did. They didn't start very well. They, then they covered the spread in six of their last seven games. They won their last three games. Uh, one of them was against somebody, you know, unimportant, uh, some some non-conference foe. But um, your your snapshot look at Kentucky and what well, Tech's just looking fa- at. The, the only thing that's interesting about Kentucky is that um, – their court, they don't have a quarterback. They have a receiver playing quarterback, and they've basically run the ball uh, 90, 95% of the time now. They only attempted two passes when they beat blew out Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had they've multiple injuries at quarterback, and they got a receiver. Well, I guess he's entering the draft after the season, uh, but going to play in the bowl game. He did a video and announced that. Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, there's no storylines. I mean, it's a bad game for Virginia Tech, right? There's no um, – it's one of those games where there's no upside – because if you lose, you lost to a bad SEC team or average SEC team. If you win, you've won a game you should win against an average SEC team, right? You've envisioned yourself as a better program, and especially more of a football traditional school. So it's a bad matchup in that sense where if they lose, that's going to even be in a longer offseason. Um, and then they have they've won one and two in bowl games under, under Fuente, and the only win was that Belk Bowl. So where they had to um, come back, where they had to come back down twenty four to nothing, um, but I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't see where you kind of get with juice from this, this, this game. What do they got? Eight wins now, so they're going for eight number wins. nine. So you don't even get that double digit. No, don't even game. get double digits. Yeah, um, yeah. Don't want to, don't want to poop on it too much. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's I'm gonna poop on it. You no, know, 
<laughs> they're losing you their sponsor. It home, it's not now. even gonna be. It's not even gonna be the Belk Bowl next year. <laughs> um, oh really? Yeah, they're all, all news to me. I, I, yeah, the Belk. Uh, this is their last. They're gonna go out on a high note. Is what they want to try to do with Virginia Tech and Kentucky. And so, uh, yeah, they're gonna need a new sponsor next year. And can you name the previous two sponsors for the Belk Bowl? Oh, uh, was it Whedon? I don't even know what Whedon is. Uh, is it, I want to say like a lawnmower, bad, bad lawnmower. A bad lawnmower bowl. <laughs> bad boy no, mowers. Bad lo- not, uh, no. no. Oh, oh, Continental Tire. That's the first one. That's uh, uh, that's okay. really impressive. Thank that's what. That's the that's the more obscure I covered, version. I covered that's at least one tire bowl. One Continental Tire bowl. So uh, that's one. I can't even think of the other one. It's in the same realm. They're connected. Uh, Goodyear. Minicky Car Care Meineke. Center. Minicky <laughs> Car Care Center Bowl. Or car, yeah, car care bowl, Mikey car care bowl yeah. in 2004. Um, so yeah, so you got you got the Continental Tire. I thought that would be the one. Mikey is sort of the more memorable uh, uh, names. I so. definitely covered a Virginia because Virginia, Virginia Virginia was in the first. Maybe that's what it was. Virginia was in the first because Virginia Tech had never played in it before 2016. Virginia they was in the Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, the second it was they played uh, West Virginia in the first one, and in the second one they played Pittsburgh, and Matt Schaub was the quarterback. Yeah, uh, in that second one, um, that have been like two thousand five or something. Two thousand two and two thousand three. Oh, this that, is that great. I'm just gonna keep reading from their Wikipedia. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's they're so they're looking for a new sponsor. I guess that's interesting, but not interesting at all to the game or what's happening on the well, field. Well, you know what should drum up sponsorship uh, opportunities is talk about Virginia Tech's defensive. Coordinator job at the press conference. Well, we're not, sure they're not going to answer questions about that. Like Justin, who do you think should sponsor this bowl? Don't you think it should be uh, go to their roots and go to a tire company? It's like, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's is it time for Firestone to step into the breach here? <laughs> That's right. But and it's serious. It, like so, the, and then we should talk. So the it looked like it was going to be Mississippi State, and it was sort of announced. A bunch of reports had come up, and then there was like a last minute like. Uh, haggle within the SEC about who's going to get this game, yeah. uh, and then it was Tennessee for a hot second, and then they, they, they so it kind of switched. Um, so, do you think this is more or less interesting than Mississippi State or Tennessee and or Tennessee? Uh, definitely, Tennessee would be more. De- Tennessee would be, have a lot more juice. Um, Why is that? Well, it's a border. St- I mean, I guess Kentucky's a border state too, right? Or is it Kentucky's a border state? Okay. I don't think Tennessee's a border state, is it? Oh, Tennessee is sure. Oh, oh man, this is this is good. I was like, yeah, I gotta pull yeah, up a USA flip over map. Bristol. Bristol straddles the line between Virginia, Virginia, and so it's on the Tennessee. Uh, yeah, it's this west. Is good. Of, this west is good of radio. West. This, is, this is good. <laughs> you remember the you remember the battle of Bristol, right? I mean, you've heard of it. They played the game at Bristol Motor Speedway because it was the you know sort of a central location between Virginia Tech and Knoxville. So. Yeah, so yeah, Kentucky and Tennessee both about the same overlap. So they're both border states technically. Yeah, but Tennessee's obviously got more of a history, you know, and there's I think there's more Tennessee fans in in southwest Virginia than there are Kentucky football fans. There may be some Kentucky basketball fans. Um, I thought Mississippi State Mississippi State had the best running back in the SEC. Well, you had the P thing, you know, the, yeah, the, the urinating, yeah. urinating dog storyline. That could have got at fun. least two columns out of that. <laughs> Just wrote about that exclusively <laughs> for three weeks. Um, all of them were pretty pretty juiceless because, I mean, it's you know, um, 
lower tier SEC teams. And there was talk of App State if SEC didn't have enough teams that they might have been in the picture. I don't, and then they're looking for a new coach. I don't know if that would have been that would have been a terrible matchup for Virginia Tech because that's only lose lose. That's even worse than Kentucky. At least Kentucky's in the SEC. But um, I thought Mississippi State, I, and I guess I might be the la- the only one that thought that was the better game than Tennessee. Than both of those because t- I thought they were the best team. Oh of the yeah, three. yeah. I think you're totally off base on Tennessee. People love people love that matchup. They but I thought that was the best. It would have made for the best football game. And that's what I was Maybe, thinking. Yeah. That was that's what I, I was mean, thinking. Certainly the most urine columns that I could have come up with. And which is all we really measure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I mean, crank that's, out the copy before this You game. need <laughs> – that's, that's important. That's an important I'm question. I'm going to ask Stoops if anybody's uh, peed on his uh, – has any, any, anybody blown a game in a uh, crazy you know, Tomorrow, uh, Charlotte, I have a question from Aaron McFarland from the Roanoke <laughs> Times. He's not here today, but he would like to know. Has anybody faked peeing <laughs> in your school so we can write a column? I don't know how that would well that would go over. Okay. Well, I guess <laughs> some would say that we've buried the lead here. Uh, we have not talked about Virginia Tech's losing the uh, the streak. Uh, it feels like forever ago because there was a completely was. different coaching staff. It was staff. Two, weeks, two weeks ago. Uh, Virginia, well, actually eight days ago. We're t- what, nine Sorry. days ago. T- ten days. It was a Friday. So uh, UVA 39, Virginia Tech 30. Uh, very entertaining game. Uh, you know, could have gone either way for sure. Your thoughts on Virginia finally ending the streak? I said – in the beginning that fans would have been happier with a worse record had they won against Virginia rather than they got those shutouts and it happened like fans like freaked out about the end of the streak mm-hmm. um, and I guess that's fair I mean, it's a long time right it's a lot of games in a row um, and uh, you know Virginia stormed the field obviously mm-hmm. um, th- and I think the most important story was that and nobody wrote about this because I don't cover Virginia, but um, that a guy, a fan jumped off the uh, to get into the st- to get onto the field, jumped down and like broke his leg to get on oh, the thing. Yeah, he was out. He was right by the uh, tunnel for Virginia Tech, and that's and so I, you had to walk past this guy in agony as Broncos trying to find Justin Fonte to shake his hand because they didn't shake the hand on the midfield because of all the fan storming. Um, uh, so they, I guess, they're not used to storming the field because obviously some rust there with people. Um, not knowing (laughs) if you jump 10 feet down on the ground it's probably going to break your ankle but um as for the game itself i don't know do you think it would have been better if they had gotten blown out then it was a close game the hoagies yeah no fans would have been i wrote this after the game i thought if if the streak was going to end this was the best way for it to end and and by that i mean with losing the coastal i used the metaphor that that lucy didn't get lazy charlie brown had been doing wind sprints and that's the last time I'm going to use that metaphor in regards to this rivalry. But we've been talking about Lucy pulling the football from. So what does that mean? So Lucy Virginia caught up. Lucy still had. Lucy was still Lucy. If if you had reversed the results of the beginning of the season and made them all in the back end of the season, then I would have said this was a disaster for Virginia Tech. But as well as the Hokies have been playing for Virginia to win it in this fashion on their own field. Uh, it, it, it re-injects some life into the rivalry. Tech fans, of course, don't want life in the rivalry. They'd like right. it to be dead forever. They'd like to just, you know, laugh at them, laugh at Virginia. All, all, And I understand that. That's what a rivalry is all about. But in terms of this, uh, me covering it or somebody who's just looking from, you know, Oklahoma and saying, oh, Virginia Tech and Virginia are playing again, um, how's that going to go? You know, it's it, you don't you – don't, the conversations that people have 
and, and, and I'm not expressing myself well, but I put this in the column too. If you walk to the stadium that Friday on Black Friday and you could see all the, you know, uh, tailgates where Virginia Tech fans and Virginia fans are standing side by side. I mean, there you, you can't live your life in this state, even in our part of the state, without interacting daily with people from the other side of the rivalry. Is that correct? You okay. would agree with that. Sure. Um, so, and you're saying that they shouldn't interact? No, I'm saying they sh- they have a lot more in common than they want than you think on social media. Uh, social sure. media is just a place to just throw your barbs and and scream and say, "Oh, you suck." Right. Uh, in real life, what you do is you have a beer with the guy and you sit there and you talk about the game. Well, next year the game the, the conversation will not be this will be the year. No, it won't. This will be the year. No, it won't. It'll be actually like, okay, what happens in this game? It, it, it will there actually some mystery as to what will happen. There you go. Okay. I, and and Bud Foster did talk a little bit about that. He said you got to have a rivalry. You have to have two teams uh, yeah. two teams compete. But I don't think Virginia Tech fans care that there's another story. They want no, the same No, of course story. not. And so um, – and it's hard. <laughs> like I said, I just think that mattered more than anything else. And Of course. No, look, they're going to be upset. Uh, they don't want to relinquish the cup. I mean, the cup's been their property forever. And so – how do you expect them to react? Are they finally lose to Virginia? But I, my point is, if this had happened, let's say, last year or even the year before, uh, let, let's go the year before because – or let's go the year before that because Virginia Tech was really struggling. Like, 20 – I don't know. 17? <laughs> let's, let's go a year – one of the years where Tech needed to win – 2015 or 2014? To get to a bowl, okay. okay? Yeah. All right. And so – and Virginia's not very good, Okay. And, and then they come and beat you. So you think it's better that Virginia was good, essentially, because that yeah. ma- makes some sense. You, you think it would have been worse for fans dealing with it if they were bad and it upset them, whereas this was this was an upset, but not really. Well, they upset. also had a transcendental quarterback. They had a, a gen- once in a generation quarterback. And if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you can look at that and say, okay, they're not going to have Perkins next year. Uh, so you come, think that, come beat us in Blacksburg without Perkins and see so without any justifications. You think Virginia Tech, like if they didn't have any justifications for why that they lost, they'd be waking up much in a much bitter more, or even have some perspective in the next month or two where they can't. They can't. You know, if in a year where they didn't have Perkins, they could. They would be like, what? Why did we lose? Yeah, now how they did we lose to this yeah, crappy, yeah, terrible team that. that's not even a coastal contender? You know, like not even going to a bowl. How did they come? And be, how did we lose to them? You know, that would be. I think the worst way to lose it, second worst way to lose it is on like a bad call or, a, you know, a missed field goal. You know, it wasn't that. I mean, Virginia came, came and took it. They made a field goal. Tech didn't miss a field goal. They made a very uh, a, a, a difficult, what, 48-yard field goal to go ahead, and that put Tech in a bad position, and Tech got, you know, then they brought the house and sacked uh, Hooker and, and clinched the deal. But um, – I mean, it was a good game. It was a competitive game, and Tech could have won the game, but it wasn't a scenario where I thought I felt like they just coughed it up and choked it away. You know, it was. I think I thought Virginia took it, and um, while that's not pleasant for Virginia Tech fans, it, you can live with it. It's called competition. It's called sports. You know, I mean, that's what that's what sports are. Well, it's just a, it's a tricky spot right now for for Fuente because um, the team has been very up and down the last two years. And this is another down note, and you end the season on this. And so it's your last memory, your lingering memory of the team. And you got the bowl game, which 
mean, who remembers that Cincinnati game last year? They don't remember that. And so this year, the Kentucky game, it's not unless they blow out this team and, and have some some something impressive. You're going to remember the Virginia game and the loss, I think, is going to kind of carry this team through the offseason. And so it's just with the streak, um, I think it just makes for a challenging because, you know, you had all those good vibes. And now who's going to remember that you shut those teams back to back? I mean, this was a team that if they had won that game, I mean, man, could you have thought of a better, you know, Foster talked about kissing Cinderella, you know, like getting a chance um and, and to get stomped by clemson what a, what a, what a joy but but it would have still been you know uh this team has had kind of just going the offseason the last couple of years just just lingering sort of doubts about the direction of the program and where you didn't have that when they won six out of seven i think it's all back for especially the fan base where they're just looking at this team as like what do we have um I'm going to disagree with you slightly. I, I definitely fair. agree that people are going to remember this Virginia loss, of course. But I, I do remember Virginia last year losing in a very devastating fashion at in Blacksburg. And you said, well, it doesn't matter what happens down in the Belk Bowl. You know, who gives a crap what happened? They put all their eggs in the Virginia Tech basket, and they lost. And, and they lost in a, in a terrible way. And, when, well, then Perkins went out and had the game of his life, and they stomped South Carolina 28 nothing. And all of a sudden, you, you said, "Well, this is a resilient team. You know, this isn't uh, this isn't a team that's going to dwell on that Virginia Virginia Tech loss." I think Virginia Tech, well, well maybe not something that, to that extreme because it, it was sort of a, a, a incremental growth that was going on in Charlottesville as opposed to the up and down that you talked about in Blacksburg. Um, I think you can erase some of the ill feelings if you if you put in a really good performance here. I'm saying, you know, you probably need to win by two touchdowns or something like that to feel like, okay, I can I can remember now the momentum they had built before. You could detach yourself, but they lose. That's only going to increase kind of the, the concern. Yeah, they can't lose. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good. Um, uh, well, you went to the championship game. Uh, and I, I, I would think I did think it would have been an interest. I think that they ranked so the college football playoff committee ranked UVA 24. So there wasn't a discussion about the Orange Bowl, right. the automatic rankings. But if they had not been ranked, I do think the Orange Bowl would have had a, had a discussion. I don't think they think? would have taken Virginia Tech. You think so? But I, I think it would have at least been. I don't know what they would have done. You know, you can't. Who knows? But I think they would have had to have a discussion, right? Did you see the quote from the the Orange Bowl? They would have considered both or whatever guys. His name is? No, he was like, well. Uh, once they had put them in the rankings, we we were had to take them, you know. And he was, <laughs> but no, it was. I'm it was paraphrasing, like, but, yeah, he was but like, no, you did. He was like the others we were, we right. looked at would have been Virginia Tech and Wake Forest. Yeah, because they were 24, so they had to go. But I, I think it would have been a discussion because you were at that uh, Clemson game, UVA game, and how uneven, how unmatched was that game? It was it was one of the worst games I've ever seen. In terms of just being entertained, you know, I know Hokie fans probably were at home enjoying the heck out of it. Uh, but you know, as somebody who was there, just hoping to see some some competitiveness, and you saw a little bit early, I guess. You know, Perkins making some plays early on, and it didn't matter how many long completions or th- like the Clemson could have scored every time. That was what was striking. It was just that Virginia Virginia's defense had no no answer for for the offense and the backup quarterback played the entire fourth quarter and they still won 62-17. I mean this is uh you know it was I wrote about the fact that I think it's a problem for the ACC. I mean I think it's a problem for the ACC that one Clemson didn't face a ranked opponent all year until they played Virginia, which is now not in the AP rankings after that loss. And two, 
that the the title game is is a foregone conclusion. It's a joke. Yeah. It was ninety percent. Uh, this is my estimation. Ninety percent Clemson fans there. And if you're a Virginia fan, why would you go? Like, why would you go watch a bloodletting other than to just say you were there for a title game? You know, you knew the way it was going to go. And that's not Clemson's fault. Um, and I think even you're seeing even Bronco is – or not Bronco, um, Dabo. There's a lot of O names in the coaching positions. <laughs> but uh, Dino, you got Dino at Syracuse. Jimbo, you used to have. There's a lot of O's. <laughs> it's hard to keep them all track. All analysis you can only get from the Logic Dabo, Dabo. Uh, you could tell in his comments leading up to the game. You know, he's sort of frustrated with it, too. He didn't come out and say this league sucks. Well, he but thought he's that like, people were discounting them, but as they because should. Because the league sucks. But as they should. I mean, they after the first couple of weeks, they beat everybody by more than 40, I think it was, or whatever yeah. it was. And Wofford, I think, had the most points against them in that stretch, probably because they had the backups in for – Probably three quarters. Um, what do you think Tech would have done? Would it have been the same? I, I think it would have been, yeah, the, probably twenty-five point loss instead of what thirty. I think of 45? that I think Tech's defense, even though the defense gave up tons of points, they they probably would have slowed him down for a little bit because they do weird things, and it seems like when Bud Foster schemes for a guy, especially Trevor Lawrence, that hadn't seen him before, mm-hmm. they can trip him up for like. A quarter or two, uh, offensively, I think Tech would have been just decimated. Like, yeah. they, they, like I don't think they would have. I mean, had you, very you have points. an appreciation watching Clemson on TV and watching and seeing the scores come up on the bottom line and just seeing how dominant they are. But then when you go and watch them play and you see Lawrence and the way he throws, I mean, he stands so tall in the pocket. You know, he's such a big guy, and then he just, man. It's so much mustard on those throws. It's 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 really impressive to watch. He can just really get it down the field in a hurry, and I think that would have been all kinds of problem for Virginia Tech, just as it was for Virginia. I mean, yeah. it, you know, it, it, I I don't think Virginia Tech is kicking itself saying, "Wow, if we'd have been there, we could have won." No, I don't. Yeah. And I, you didn't see that. No Virginia Tech fan was like, "Oh man, I wish we were there. We would have given them a real fight." Yeah. Or like it would have been much different. Um, I mean, they kind of took – they had some glee in the fact that Virginia literally could not stop yeah, a single player strong, on, yeah. on, on the offense, or, or uh, it was bad. But, um, yeah, I mean, what what a prize, right? Uh, that you, you beat your rival and that streak for 15 years and you just get embarrassed in primetime on national TV. Yeah. Well, I thought – I think I predicted 45-20. So that would have been a slight covering of the spread. That was very generous. Well, yeah, it was generous. And, and it was, part of it was the whole nothing to lose mentality and the fact that I have a lot of appreciation for Perkins. And, you know, he didn't – They didn't play with nothing to lose. That, that Bronco made some conservative decisions. He had the ball Yeah, there. he punted on the, one punted early one when, when their offense was playing really yeah. well and their defense, was, of course, was, was not all game. Uh, he punted in plus territory that made no sense on like a third or fourth and four. Or and when you're and in that situation, I think you have to sort of. I, I, I'm not sure why teams don't be like, look, this is a four down game. We're gonna yeah. go for it every time. We're gonna almost like a game plan that Fuente had against Wake Forest, where it's like if we don't have the ball 75 percent of the time, we're not even gonna come close. Right. Like why not? I mean, what's the difference if you don't make those fourth downs? You give up. I mean, they're going to run out of time eventually, right? Well, as I tweeted, why not? Well, you just want to give up fifty-four yard. Uh, you want to give up an eighty-four yard. Right, right. What's the difference? It, it, you know, and they, they, at the end of the game, the score might be worse. Like if they, you, if you lose, if you miss all those fourth down opportunities, you might lose by fourteen more. But what, at what point is the difference? Maybe you don't. Maybe you can cover. Maybe you can get me actually keep it competitive because otherwise you have no chance. And and coaches 
don't do that. <laughs> no, it's very rare that coaches do that, but uh, I think uh, as analytics and things get embraced, the, the, somebody's going to come up with these numbers and say, like, look, you have a 0% chance of beating Clemson. If you go for it, maybe you have a 2% chance, right? And that that was disappointing to me because Bronco's an analytics guy. Yeah, you know, yeah he's he, into that he studies stuff. that kind of stuff, and he should know better. And and you know, and he's also a very blunt guy. He knows what they're up against. He doesn't sugarcoat that kind of stuff to those yeah. guys. You know, he's the one who said we only have this many uh, ACC caliber players on our team. You know, which is a very insulting thing. But I'm to not sure. I don't. I, I I am surprised that they didn't sort of take that approach where it's like we got nothing. We beat, we just yeah. we just ended this terrible streak. We're we're riding high. Let's do something crazy, right? Let's get let's let's just let's go nuts and try something. Because well, otherwise, just, we're gonna. I mean, you, they what they? I don't even remember what the, they lost by more than forty, right? Sixty-two, seventeen. Yeah, or so, sixty-three. Yeah, I think so, it was sixty-two. I mean, I mean, they just got crushed. So yeah. what is the difference? Yeah. No, you're right. I I'm in total agreement with you. All right, you want to get to our pick three? Sure. Okay. You want me to go first? Sure. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Did you see the trailer? The new Ghostbusters movie. Uh, I I saw it pop up on my Twitter. That's thing good. I didn't. I'm, look I'm at looking it. forward to it. it was, it's a continuation of the uh, originals. Um, they did that one that was uh, sort of separate, kind of a reboot. This one um, looks like the little girl or the family that is going to be um, connected to um, uh, Harold Ramis's character Egon. That they're that will be his grandchildren. He said he has passed away. So, um, but um, evoked sort of the tone of the original. Um, I showed my kids who have just seen the first one, not the the second one, and they loved everything. They were really once that the the they they showed the um, Ecto one the the car. My kids went crazy. They were really excited. <laughs> they're in. So uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, the summer comes out. Um, I thought the trailer was fun. Okay. Yeah, I like the original. Yeah, the original. I haven't seen any yeah. of the. I guess I did see Ghostbusters too. Yeah, that's a little darker, so we haven't shown the kids that yeah. the Vigo, Carpathian, the, the painting. Um, yeah. But yeah, the kids are like, "Is this another one?" I'm like, "Yeah, it's super <laughs> excited." Well, speaking of movies, my first one will be Hallmark movies. You ever watch any of them? I do not. Okay. The Christmas movies, like, uh, I've really, forty-seven of I've them. I've gotten into these with my daughter, oh my and uh, my wife watches them with us, and my son does not. He's fourteen, and he he goes up to his room and so you play a drinking game while you do it. Like, no, because there's no. got to be like a drinking <laughs> game. There's got to be like a drinking <laughs> game. My daughter jokes for, uh, that it's always a small town. You know, she always falls right. for a small town baker. You know, who just happens to know how to make the best Christmas cookies in the world. We watched one last night. It was called a Christmas Bride. It was fantastic. Uh, there is a hall. There's there's very very many links bingo. for for Hallmark Christmas movie drinking games. There you go. Um, take a drink when a character's <laughs> name is related to Christmas. Holly, Nick, Chris. Someone disses fake Christmas trees. There's a mistletoe. A new newcomer partakes in an old family town tradition. There's an ugly sweater. Someone gets snowed on. Someone drinks hot chocolate cider. Or oh eggnog. man, I've been wasted last night. Wasted. <laughs> a big city person is trans. Splitted to a small town. Uh-huh, uh-huh. A magical deal is made with Santa or an angel. Uh, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. There's no. a reference to a dead relative. Yes. <laughs> Dad. Jingle bells is played. Uh, uh, I'm sure it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay. So yeah, totally wasted. Yeah, <laughs> but I I would I would have I enjoyed. Uh, I enjoy them for the fact that my daughter's very sarcastic, just like her dad. Her commentary, and yeah. we when we make so a you lot don't of you don't watch them like literally like for the enjoyment of seeing love stories. Uh, no, I mean you get into the plot a little bit if it's well done, uh, but most of them are. Are any of them well done? Uh, 
Last night's was okay. I recognized the the gal from this movie. From uh, she was in an, uh, one of the original Masters of Horror uh, show. Have you ever heard of that? Masters of Horror? I vaguely remember the title, but oh, uh, it was great. Yeah. I think it was on Showtime. But it was, they they took like the the best directors of horror movies and they yeah, said yeah. make a make a sixty minute film and. Uh, they had a really high batting average uh, in in success there. Go ahead, you go so number, my number two. Uh, I read a book uh, after the uh, Virginia game that weekend, uh, "The Substitution Order" by Martin Clark. I guess he's a Virginia-based author. Uh, it's like a legal sort of legal thriller. Um, different, a little bit different than my normal stuff that I read. Uh, it's very very good. Um, uh, it's got a kind of an interesting cover. Um, uh, it's like a building hanging on a cliff. Um, and it's about this attorney that, um, has been disbarred, um, and he's working at a sub shop and, and his life gets entangled in all sorts of problems, but it's very good. Um, I'm going to try to check out something else he's written. And I thought it was fun that, uh, the main character had worked in Roanoke, uh, for most of his life. And so oh, cool. a lot of towns that mentioned around here. So Virginia based writer. So always support local authors, right? That's our, that's yeah. got to, right? So uh, yeah, so I read that, and that was very good. I'd recommend that if you're looking for a book to purchase for someone for the holidays. All right. I got the best stick-to-sports uh, complaint I've ever gotten, I think. Uh, when I wrote about the the Commonwealth Cup streak ending, I used the metaphor. I said, this is something along the lines of, I said, let's face it, the movie Groundhog Day was only popular because Bill Murray was in it. I said the plot itself was, was tedious. And some guy replied at the bottom of the of the, of the story. He says, "I'm paraphrasing, but he was like, uh, Groundhog Day is not just a Bill Murray vehicle. Maybe you should just stick with writing about sports." So he's very protective of that movie, and I'm finding I'm coming to find out that a lot of people agree with this man. Groundhog Day is like a yeah, that's a that's a. I found it tedious. Oh my god! You're, Every day that, the same thing, and it's like okay, I understand, I get it, but like you've got some unpopular movie. Opinions. I do, I do, but you know what's popular in the world today is like The Rock and pro wrestling, and I, I don't want to be popular. I don't care. Like I don't want to be a, a rock fan. I don't want to watch. Ironically, the, the next one on my list, the, the next one on my list is the second Jumanji movie with the Rock, because <laughs> we're going to be taking the kids to see it, because um, they really like the first one. Uh, and you know, we we me, me and my wife really like the original. Stick to sports. Man. We like the original and the second one, or I mean the the remake. Uh, we were kind of leery of it, but it was kind of fun and and light, and the kids really liked it. And the kids don't rarely watch. You know, Ghostbuster. We've the live action movies are still sort of boring to them. They, they prefer Pixar and cartoons and things. But the Jumanji, uh, and I think that's part of the appeal is The Rock that he's sort of this cartoon character in real life. He's mm -hmm. not like a real person mm -hmm. um, because you know how could you be real and like he's just he's insane. Mm -hmm. Just just his his aura and his personality. But so the kids really like it, um, and they like kind of the goofy you know, aspect of these characters playing kids, you know. Um, so we'll be seeing that. And so I guess we're we're anti Aaron McFarlane. No, you're just you're just you. you. I like pop culture. That's no. And, and I am I am I am one of I'm the saying, masses. And, and I'm also saying people that like pro wrestling. I'm not I'm not bashing you. I, I but you I, sound like you're bashing. No, me. no. I mean, I, I like NASCAR. A lot of people don't like NASCAR. What I is mean, the difference between pro wrestling and NASCAR? It's very oh, right. There's oh, a lot of similarities. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Exactly. You're right. Um, all right. My third one. I'm embarrassed to admit that well, I you had, watch Hallmark because you've already done that. I had never. Yeah, that's right. I have never read 
Ball Four by Jim Bowden. Have you I read Ball Four? No. Okay, I always just assumed, you know, because it was written, I think, in the 70s, early 70s. You know, most people know of the book. If they haven't read it, it's uh, you know, by a pitcher who pitched for the Yankees and the Seattle Pilots, and he um, told all, you know, and that was like the first – real sports book that wasn't just oh johnny's working hard in the off season looking forward to a big year with the yankees you know like this Your was voice of the yeah that so, sounds like it was before the 60s that they were doing that but. well i always just assumed that this this book you know because it's always referred to as that first tell-all sports book it was just going to be you know oh travails on the right. on the you know at the at the hotel and things like that and i was like eh, I, don't, I don't really you know whatever the book is hilarious. It, like, Bowden is really funny. The guy who edited it uh, did a fantastic job. Apparently what Bowden did was just talking to a, a recorder. It was like a diary right. Transcribe format. It, yeah. And then transcribed it, and then it was edited by somebody. And it's fantastic. The guy remind, I mean, Bowden reminds me. I, my college coach at Maryland was uh, Tom Bradley. He pitched in the big leagues with the White Sox. He's probably a big fan of his, being a White Sox guy. But um, – and so he had all sorts of you know big league stories, but he was also just you know smart ass and funny and and uh, this guy is very similar to that and and it reminds me a lot of I would if he probably anybody who's a sports fan um, or a baseball a big baseball fan probably has at least heard of it. Uh, most people probably read it. I I would recommend if you haven't go do it because it's much better than I anticipated it being. We'll talk about uh, how you having the pulse of pop culture. You're recommending a book <laughs> from the 70s about a ba- baseball player. That's like, you know I mean? You're not going to get, I mean, that's, yeah. It's, and when you're done, grab a cup of hot cocoa and, and watch yourself. That's actually more pop culture. I mean, that that they, those are, that's like the dichotomy of hiring Charlie Wiles and hiring Justin Hamilton. Watching Hallmark <laughs> movies and recommending a baseball book that was published in the 60s or 70s. So that's very, that's the, those things don't go together. One of those things is, is very, the, both of them are very strange, but you should do, we should, you should do for the, for the podcast to test. Uh-huh. Um, you should get one of those drinking game sheets and uh-huh. the next time you watch a Hallmark movie, do it. Like uh-huh. legitimately do it. And then take a breathalyzer. After take a breathalyzer <laughs> or like measure how many beers you've had or how <laughs> drunk you are. Or do that for like an entire week and then write a column. And then you could uh, expense all the alcohol. That's right. That's right. So like how drunk six cases of <laughs> Sam Adams winter and brew. And your obituary could be the next day where it's like he did not make it. He died of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would, that would be a good way to go. So go. Uh, there's that. So next week we'll come back and you could tell us how many, you know, what's the average? You know, like if you did five days of the movies, what's your average beer intake on that? <laughs> I like that idea. I don't know that the wife would appreciate it as much as you got to say. Look, it's for work, honey. It's sorry. It's what it is. What it is. You want me to get fired or what? Exactly. All right. Well, that's just about do it for this episode. We will try to get it together again in between now and the bowl and talk about the actual bowl matchup a lot more in depth. And also maybe maybe hit on a few other bowls out there involving. Are you doing your list this year? Uh, Yeah, I'm doing my I'll do my bowl guide. Uh, Apparently, that's running on the 21st, which I think is the first day of bowls. That's at Saturday. So you think so. you maybe your pick three, we could do like your your best three bets for the fans. Yeah, like yeah, I can give you my lock of the bowl season. Uh, we had a good year last year against the spread. Uh, we had had, I think, a run of two years in a row that was bad. But before that, I think I went on like a 10-year run where every year I was hitting, uh, you know, 
60% or so like that. I mean, it was pretty good. So uh, it's usually pretty good. So hopefully I'll have that done by the time we get back together and we can go over all that. Anything else you want to add, Mike? No. I'm okay. okay. All right. Well, we thank you for joining us. Have a happy holiday. Uh, if we don't talk to you before then, uh, if we do, we'll see you then for Mike Nizelik. <laughs> <Mike laughs> see, I got it right. Mike Nizelik. This is Aaron McFarling. We'll catch you next time.